Good morning. Today, we, as people from the Northwest, the Seattle area, we celebrate the start of the Seahawks season. And we know that this every time every year we get excited, we get build up, we're, we're super, super looking forward to it. But it's also a reminder of something for us about what it means to be a, a 12. Now, if you're from the Northwest, you know what I mean by that. We're rooting for the same thing. We're, we're passionate about the same team. A few years ago, I was down at a theme park. It was a Friday, and so what do we do on Friday? We wear our, our Seahawks jerseys. And so I'm at this theme park, and what happens when I see somebody outside of this area wearing these great colors of blue and green? What are the two words that I say? Go Hawks. And automatically, there's a bond between us. We're in the middle of thousands of other people, obviously before the pandemic. We're um, strangers. We don't know anything about one another. But just because we're wearing the same jersey, there's uh, something that unites us, that brings us together. It's because we're rooting for the same team, but it's also because that rooting, that news about the Seahawks playing has developed this identity of what it means to be a 12. And so because I root for the same team, we're, we are on the same team. We become a bond unlike somebody else who roots against another team because there's something that unites us uniquely that way. And so as I root for, I am transformed by... And then what does it mean to be a 12? It means I root. When I'm at the stadium, I stand at certain times and yell, and I'm quiet at certain times. There's certain things you say and there's certain things you don't say. There's an obedience that comes out of this rooting for that changes us into a new group of people. That And as a result, it, we walk out that very thing. Now, for many, this is not just a fun thing, but it's an idolatrous thing. And an idol is anything that we worship or root for that is other that is placed ultimately over God in our lives. And so this rooting for a team can ease very easily and quickly, and in some cases, like moment by moment, become a worshipful thing. We're worshiping it. And as a result of worshiping it, we receive a new identity. We're transformed by it. That my identity as a 12 becomes my primary identity. And therefore, because it's my primary identity and allegiance as a 12 to the team that I worship, I therefore walk out and obey a new way. Now, this is very common in the sports world, whether you're in the South and you root for the SEC or you're in the Northeast and you're from Boston and you have all those championships that you complain about, just joking, whatever it may be, there's a, a culture within sports that teaches us a lot about what it means to be disciples of Jesus. We are in the middle of a Simply Soma series. It's our reminder as a church family of what it means to be the people of God transformed by Jesus, that the gospel is our primary allegiance. We're given a new identity and we're sent to make disciples who make disciples. That our vision is gospel saturation. Our desire and the way we work that out is disciples who make disciples. And so as we're in the middle of the series today, 
we're focusing on our new identity in Christ. Last week, we looked at the gospel proclamation. This is who God is and what he's done in the person and work of Jesus. Now we get to who am I in Christ? Paul says this amazing statement in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you have union with Christ, you are a new creation. What does he say? He is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciles us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So what are we? We are no longer the old When we profess faith in Jesus, when we make a public proclamation through baptism in the name of the Father and Son and Spirit, that means that we are a new creation. We have been given a new identity. If you're from different traditions within the Christian faith, when we talk about being given a new identity, or we need to live out our identity. You need to remember your identity. The, the other language that's used in other uh, traditions or uh, tribes within the Christian faith is remembering your identity. Excuse me, remembering your baptism. Remembering your identity is likened to remembering your baptism. Remember what God has done in you. Remember this new creation. Remember that you are new, that you profess faith, that you were dead in your trespasses, but you went down in the waters of baptism and you've been raised with Christ as you've been raised out of the water. And so you and I who have professed faith in Jesus have a new identity in Christ. And the question is, what is that identity? What is that identity? Uh, If you have your Bible, flip open to Matthew chapter 28 and what's known as the Great Commission. Uh, In verse uh, 18, this is what uh, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations or ethnos or ethnicities, people groups baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So Jesus, resurrected King, all authority has been given to him. And what is his command? He says to go therefore and make disciples. Now disciples is a unique word. It's, we think of it in a spiritual context. And sometimes we don't know what it means. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to make a disciple? So a disciple is someone who worships Jesus, is changed by Jesus, and obeys Jesus. There's an up quality. We worship him. This is like the team. We're rooting for him, but we're worshiping him. We're giving him worth and and saying, you are the ultimate one in our lives. Our allegiance is primarily to you and your kingdom. But there's an in quality as well, which is that we're being changed by him. 
We have been changed by him by being given a new identity, but we are still in process of being changed by him into the image of Jesus. A disciple also obeys Jesus. We, we do what he says in this passage. It says teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded. And so this new identity as a disciple of Jesus, another language for that is an apprentice or a learner. It means we worship. It means we're changed by. And it means that we obey. And the process of discipleship is submitting to the empowering lordship of Jesus in every aspect of our lives. It's the being changed by bit by bit, one degree of glory to the next. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so in this passage, it says make disciples. But, and that's the emphasis. That's the focal point of this is make disciples. And then it goes on to what does that look like? It means to baptize them. It's simply put, baptizing someone is recognizing the new identity. The simple metaphor that we've used a lot, you take a white cloth and you baptize it in purple dye. What comes out? A purple cloth. It has been baptized, which means it has been given a new identity. It is no longer white with some purple. It is purple. Just as you have been baptized, as you remember your baptism, your identity is you are a disciple. You are um, a family member, a servant of the king, and a missionary sent by God in light of what this means. And let's dive into each of those. So we are disciples. Think of that in the middle of a triangle that's worshiping Jesus, that's being changed by Jesus, and that's obeying Jesus. But it also means that we've been baptized, we've been given a new identity in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. As a family, we see that that is uh, different aspects of what it means to be given a new identity. So what does it mean to be baptized or given a new identity in the name of the Father? Simply stated, by being get, um, baptized in the name of the Father, that means we are children of God who love and care for each other as family. This is what John 1, 11 through 13 says. He, Jesus, came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of men, but of God. We have been born of God. We are children of God. John says this in his epistle in chapter C, in chapter three. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. When we profess faith in Jesus, when we worship him, when we're being changed by him, we're given a new identity as children of God. That God is our father, as it says in the Lord's Prayer. Now, father language can be difficult for some 
Many of you have fathers that um, wounded you, that were, were not, that did not live up to the ideal. All of us have fathers that either blessed us and did what they were supposed to as fathers. We have fathers that wounded us or hurt us. Or we have fathers that in different areas of how, what a father is supposed to do, left a vacuum. They didn't, they neither blessed nor did they wound, but it's just a vacuum that's empty, that's longing to be fulfilled by something. The good news of the gospel is that you've been adopted into a new family by a father who is a perfect father, who doesn't let you down, who always does what is good, right, and perfect, who disciplines us when necessary, and there is painful parts of being changed by Jesus, but he is a dad that loves you, for God so loved that he gave his only son. He's a God that, a father that pursues you, a father that takes away all your guilt and all your shame because of the work of Jesus. This is a reality that we are now a family member, sons and daughters, of the most high creator God. And that makes us horizontally brothers and sisters. And this is the language you see throughout the New Testament, brothers, sisters, family. We've been given a new family that is the people of God, that my primary allegiance to God, who is my father, means that I now have a new family of brothers and sisters. Jesus even says elsewhere, who is my family? It's those that do my will. And so we have been given this identity as family. So what does it mean to be brothers and sisters? It means we love one another. We're dedicated to one another. We're not consumers that just say, oh, I don't like them. I'm going to go find another spot. It, does, it also doesn't mean that if you're in difficulty that you can just move on to the next relationship. It means that you have to pursue. It means that you're going to rub one another the wrong way. You're going to have to forgive one another. But you're there for one, one another. You're committed to one another. That there's a depth to being the family of God that is so profound. And so as Soma Federal Way, all of these identities, uh, identity is lived out in our missional communities. And as we enter into October and we reshuffle our church into micro-missional communities, this is going to even get worked out more deeply in that smaller community of two to four families who are physically embodied um, discipleship and worship one another, regardless of what happens with COVID. So that's working it out, loving one another, caring for one another, being there for one another. But we're not just family. We've been baptized in the name of the Father as disciples, but now we're also baptized into the name of the Son. And what do we know about the Son? Well, the Son is King. He is a King of a kingdom. And what does it mean to be great in His kingdom? He tells us in Matthew 20, starting in verse 25, but Jesus called to them, to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your what? Servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. 
The church is made up of Jesus' servants, which means we are servants of God who serve others as a way of life. Jesus came, and it says in this passage, to give his life. Philippians 2 says that he laid down his life. He gave away some of his divine rights, and he took on the form of a slave and even became to death, death on a cross. That's the ultimate posture of a servant. And so because we're baptized into the name of the one who came to serve us, it means that that is the fuel by which it's what we're changed by. It's what we realize and how magnificent it is that Jesus saved me. He came for me and you. And so as an outworking, we go and we serve others as a way of life. We bring the kingdom of peace. We're peacemakers. We, we lay down what we desire for the sake of others. That, that is a physical aspect of it, but, and I'm going to go there. There's part of this is a financial aspect. If, our, if we are uh, place our primary allegiance in Jesus, we're being changed by him. That means that what we do with what God has given us and how we go about doing that's changed. If how I spend my money looks the same way as somebody else who doesn't believe in Jesus, then I, I have to question how, where my allegiance is. Am I generous? Am I giving? Am I serving with my resources and my time and my talents? Am I giving it towards other people? Am I, am I wanting it to be used for the kingdom of God and for his glory? Or am I hoarding it for myself? To be servants is to be generous, is to lay down our desires for the sake of another person because that is exactly what Jesus did for you and me. He laid down his rights and he took on the form of a slave so that you could become a child. So as disciples who worships Jesus, is changed by Jesus and obeys Jesus, we are family, we are servants, but it also means that we've been baptized in the name of the Spirit. And what is significant about the Spirit? Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 20, starting in 21. Jesus said to them, this is after he's resurrected and he's speaking to his disciples. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. In Luke's account, um, it, when he's about to ascend, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will, what, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The church is sent by the Holy Spirit to be missionaries. We are sent by God to restore all things to himself. As we think of missionaries, we tend to think of those that go internationally, but what we have to discover is if we are citizens of heaven and our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God, whatever country or context we're sent to, we are outsiders. We are exiles. We are foreigners to that way of life. And so if we are sent there by God with the kingdom as our primary allegiance, we're sent there to learn it, to engage in it, to be embedded into it so that we can um, help 
transform that culture, be salt and light with the good news of Jesus. You're a missionary regardless of where your paycheck comes from, regardless of who you work for. That a missionary or the, quote, holy ones are not pastors and missionaries, which many of us were raised with. That the missionary is actually every single member of the body of Christ. That you are a full-time vocational minister of the gospel. Now, your vocation calling may be in a corporation or maybe as a teacher, but you're called by God as a missionary sent there to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And so we are disciples, being, worshiping Jesus, being changed by Jesus, obeying Jesus. And, as, and with our baptism, we have been made, uh, baptized in the name of the Father, which means we're family. We've been baptized in the name of the Son, which means we're servants. And we're baptized in the name of the Spirit, which means we are sent missionaries. This is our identity. This is who we are. Now, some of us um, may be grown adults, but some of us may just be babies in this. What does, that, what does that mean? That a baby is a human being from the womb and when we're born, they're human being. Now, unable to take care of itself, unable to feed itself, unable to um, be able to sustain life without the other, but nonetheless still a human being. As we grow, we're growing in our ability to um, live out who we are. You may be an infant when it comes to your identity as a missionary, but you are still a missionary. Our job is to grow up into that. You may not want to serve or care about serving. You're just, ah, it's all about me. You, and yet, in Christ, you have been given the new creation identity of a servant. So you may be an infant, but what does it look like to grow up into that? And the mature Christian life is one that grows in dependence upon the Spirit, not independent of God. We become dependent upon, we, we need Him because we know that every single part of us does not want to live out that new identity that is, because there's parts of us that are in opposition to Jesus. And that is the beauty of why we are a gospel-centered people because we know that the gospel is the answer to that place. We know that our allegiance is to a God who loves us, who sent his own son to die for us, that he's changing us by his spirit in our inner being. And even if we don't rightly live out, even if we don't rightly obey, we have a God who's gracious, whose um, work on the cross covers all all of our sin, past, present, and future, so that we could live this out in the midst of a community of people. We need one another. And so as we um, work this out in missional communities, and how do we define missional communities? How do we define the church? It's based on our identity in Christ. We are a family of servant missionaries sent to make disciples and make disciples across cultures in all of life. That's our way of saying you've been given a new identity. Now the call to live that out in community on the mission of Jesus with one another. 
And as you do that in micro-missional communities this fall, my prayer is that you grow in your ability to be loved by God. You understand how much you are loved by God and chosen by Him to be a son and daughter of Him. That you grow in your ability to love one another like family. That you recognize how much Jesus has served you in His life, death, and resurrection. And that's the fuel by which you live out your new identity as servant. And that you are a recipient of a God who has pursued you, who's left the 99 to come after the one, that sent his own son to die on the cross in your place for your sins. He pursued you, he went after you, and as a result, you've been given a new identity to go and do likewise, to pursue those that don't yet believe. I pray that in as you live in micro-missional communities this fall, during this time, that we're able to experience our life in Christ more profoundly than we ever have before. And for those of you that are watching that have not yet placed your faith in Jesus, this is the offer for you. You can be looking for your identity elsewhere. You can be looking for your significance and satisfaction and all sorts of things. You can be thinking that if the Seahawks win the Super Bowl, you'll be satisfied. You could be thinking that if you're single and you get married, that then you'll be made whole. Or if you get that job or if you make enough money, whatever it may be, you're looking for significance and satisfaction in a community and an identity that gives it to you. Nothing apart from Jesus will ever be able to satisfy you the way your heart was designed to be filled. And so my prayer for you is that you would see the goodness of Jesus his grace extended to you, that he's inviting you into a new kingdom, a new community, that it loves one another, even imperfectly, but is ultimately loved perfectly by God the Father, that he died in your place for your sins because he knew that sin separates from him and he needed to pursue you, to rescue you, to bring you back in, and it's through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that that is accomplished. And so today, I pray that you place your faith your trust, your dependence, your allegiance into the, the, our Lord and Savior who is Jesus, the Messiah of Nazareth, who's come to die in your place for your sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We are a new creation because you have given it to us. We remember our baptism. We remember identity as family, as servants of missionaries. And this is all because of your good grace given to us extended to us, pursued um, as you have pursued us. And so I pray as you are pursuing people right now, that you help them profess faith, their dependence and trust and allegiance in Jesus. That, he, that you love him, that you died for them that have not yet professed faith and you want to adopt them because of this. And so God, I pray that they do that even now. And for those of us that have been baptized, for those of us that have professed faith, that you form us more deeply in this season in our identity than we've ever experienced. That you help us worship you as disciples. That you, we could be changed by you. But ultimately, and ultimately that we obey you in the midst of the everyday stuff of life. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.